Welcome back to the episode two of On the Air, the Ohio Hockey Digest podcast. The Ohio Hockey Digest is the foremost location for hockey in Ohio, covering every level, playing from youth to high school to junior and pros. Articles written to keep the hockey community up to date on all the happenings in hockey in the state of Ohio. My name is Tim Sullivan. I'm joined by Jason Lewandowski. How are you doing, Jay? I'm doing good. How are you today? Good. As well as Dan Humphrey, who's our producer. How are you doing, Dan? Not bad. How are you guys doing today? Good. We are hoping with all this newfound free time to add a different element to the digest with interviews and other such content, bringing voices and names and faces to interesting people, making the Ohio hockey community better. Well, it is the middle of April. Hopefully everyone had a good Easter. Um, We're still doing what we do with the uh, lockdown. We want to thank all of our doctors and nurses and first responders out there for keeping us all safe. And we'll get through this sooner or later. Uh, how was your guys' Easter, Jay? Uh, it was quiet. It was nice. Uh, I was at home. I ate too much and I drank too much. <laughs> so uh, as it, as it goes, pretty, pretty normal. Right. Pretty normal. What, about, what about you, Dan? Uh, it was good. I mean, pretty much everyone's in the same boat. We were just at home. Made a little uh, kibasi and sauerkraut. Little early Dingus Day celebration on Sunday. So. Yeah, Dingus Day wasn't the same uh, this year, was it? No. I stayed at home and drank a couple Polish beers instead of making my round, you know, round town. So, Gotcha. Gotcha. Well, some news and notes to get around with comes when it comes to hockey. Uh, we have some sad news to report. Edmonton's, Edmonton Oiler and Bakefield Condors forward Colby Cave passed away this past week at the age of 25 due to a brain bleed. I read a, uh, an article about this to where – his wife was not allowed in the hospital because of the COVID outbreak, which has got to be such a sad and, and upsetting situation there. Cave played for both Boston and Edmonton in his short career. Uh, he scored his first NHL goal with the Boston, with Boston beating Carey Price of Montreal with assist from David Pasternak. That's pretty, uh, it's pretty good company right there. Carey Price and David Pasternak. Uh, there's been an outpouring of support from his family and numerous tributes from players throughout the hockey community. Tremendous sad time for all that knew him uh, was written and another example of how wonderful and caring our hockey community can be. Uh, our support from the Ohio Hockey Digest and on the air uh, and condolences to his family. Jay, what do you think about that? Well, another interesting thing I saw yesterday I was reading about and watching actually was his parents went back home to Saskatchewan from Toronto where, where he passed. He was in the hospital there. They lined the road. Uh, uh, I guess uh, uh, people paying tribute to his family lined the road uh, toward toward his home in Saskatchewan. They said there was over 10 miles of cars lining the road to, I guess, welcome them back, show them support uh, as uh, the family passed back, heading back into their town in Saskatchewan. It's just a sad time. Um, 25 years old, so much life ahead of him. Uh, He obviously made a huge impact. Uh, and those he played with, be it uh, in youth all the way through to, to pro, a lot of junior guys, a lot of guys in the NHL that were uh, commenting how he was just full of life, um, you know, always a big smile, 
always wanting to improve, always wanting to make those around him better. I also read an article when he got the call up this year to Edmonton. Uh, he arrived. I, I don't know if they were on the road or at home. I don't remember. But one of the first things he did was he went into the coach's office and hugged every one of the coaches to say thank you for calling him back up. So just, uh, I guess, a sample size of what, what this young man was about. And, and I'm sure he'll be sorely missed uh, in the community and obviously uh, from his family. Yeah, for sure. Last week was also the second anniversary of the Humboldt bus crash that took the lives of 16 and left 13 injured when a bus carrying the Broncos from the Saskatchewan Junior Hockey League collided with the semi-truck as the team was en route to a playoff game against the Nippewin Hawks. <clears throat> you know, we think about this, the bus when it comes to uh, hockey, uh, whether it be youth, juniors, minor leagues, pros, whatever it may be whether you're playing or coaching, that, scene, that that bus is like the safe haven, right? That's where you have a lot of good quality time with your team and your coaches and, and players. Um, it's just so sad to hear that that safe haven was actually the thing that uh, took the lives of so many in that situation. Yeah, the uh, it, it, it's a bonding experience being on those bus rides. The the camaraderie is built, The just the strength of, of, of the brotherhood of a hockey team is or sisterhood, I guess I apologize, um, is built on those bus rides. And also they were en route to what is a game five of a playoff series. So you're with your you're with your friends, you're with your coaches, your teammates, personnel, and then something horrific happens. And it I know that that incident or that tragedy happened and it while no one in our area, or possibly no one in our area, knew those players we all did know those players because we were all those players at one way one time one shape or form and it just it, it it's it's just a tragedy that you know I, I know especially in the Humboldt uh, area they're never going to forget as well as those throughout the hockey community it's just you know the the, the outpouring of support that's still being shown for Humboldt and, and the Bronco team and and those affected by it is, is still amazing and it's just it was just one of those sad incidences that incidents that, you know, <laughs> you know that hockey is a strong community when something that happens that many miles away from us can affect you in this way. And uh, still to this day, condolences to those that were lost and, and, and prayers to those that are recovering. Uh, let's get to some exciting news report this past week. The Hobie Baker was handed out. Uh, the Hobie Baker is a, an award given to the most outstanding player in NCAA Division One ice hockey. Uh, this year, uh, the recipient of the Hobie Baker Award went to University of Minnesota's Duluth, Scott Prinovich. Uh, Prinovich just signed with the St. Louis Blues a few weeks ago uh, after being drafted by them in the second round, 45th overall. He played 34 games, six goals, 34 assists, and 40 points with 64 penalty minutes. And I think the most important stat that he had, he was a plus 18 rating. He was the NCHC Player of the Year, NCHC Offensive Defenseman of the Year, All-Conference for the third consecutive year, and All-American for the third year as well. Uh, at his time at University of Duluth, Minnesota Duluth, he won two national championships. Past recipients local uh, of the prestigious Hobie Baker Award included Cleveland-owned Padua Bruin alum Brian Holzinger. He won the award in 1995 out of Bowling Green University. We had some signings this week. Congrats to Rocky River, Ohio native Charlie Gerard on signing a pro contract with the Colorado Eagles. 
of the American Hockey League. The Eagles are the are the minor league affiliate to the NHL's Colorado Avalanche. Gerard is a graduate of Minnesota State University, playing in 121 games for the Mavericks, tallying 30 goals, 40 assists for 70 points over his career. Gerard also had 36 goals and 30 assists in 121 games, played in the USHL for the Mad Madison Capitals, Fargo Force, and Muskingum Lumberjacks. Best of luck to Charlie and continued success in his pro career. Hey, man, another, uh, another local kid making his way. Congrats to Charlie and uh, his family and friends and exciting exciting things for him. And now it's time to get more. Now it's time to get to work, Charlie. Best of luck, bud. This week, our uh, interview is sponsored by the Ohio Hockey Project. Everything right now is keeping us isolated and turning to alternative forms of advancement. The Ohio Hockey Project jumped into the ring this week. Usually the project, which is known for as a premier camp in the state, uh, getting players ready for their next level. It's normally a full stream ahead mode on the ice camps and instructions. With the state of affairs right now, owner and operator Russ Zinkowicz has taken things to the interweb. <laughs> Ohio Hockey Project at Home is a virtual online instruction using online-based meeting rooms to provide online instruction to keep players sharp using training techniques with limited resources. For more information, visit the Ohio Hockey Project website for details. All right, we're happy to have our guest with us today, uh, Chris Varga, the head coach of St. Francis DeSales High School out of Toledo. Um, ladies and gentlemen, hold on to your hats. He's got a long, long list of uh, uh, impressive uh, eulogies behind him. The former coach with Toledo Woodward. He's also former coach of Bedford, Michigan High School, the Toledo Gold Diggers, the Toledo Cherokees of the NA3. He's a two-time state champ, six-time district champ, two-time coach of the year. 1987 midget national champion with Team Toledo, former Cambridge Winterhawk of the Midwest Junior Hockey League in Ontario. Please welcome to On the Air, the 1988 graduate of Monroe St. Mary's Catholic Central High School, Coach Chris Varga. How you doing, Chris? Man, doing good. How about yourself? Doing well, doing well. Holy that was a nice God. resume. Wow. Yeah. You Jeez, built it. Sully, come up for air on that one. My Lord. And you and you know what's funny is there's a lot more to that, but we don't have to get into it. That's good enough. Well, there 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 was some things on there uh, uh, that when we were doing some research, Coach, that uh, we're gonna ask some questions on. I just couldn't couldn't dig couldn't dig that deep into the uh, vault, you know. Yeah, I also won uh, nationals, uh, um, midget AAA midget major with the Michigan Nationals in '87. Uh, against uh believe it or not it was against little caesars oh was it really yeah we had to go we had to go all the way to um chicago was i, I believe the nationals was held there and two detroit teams had to go there to play <laughs> so that's about right yeah and then you know i won a won a few other rings too but uh yeah i appreciate the time and uh so uh, how's everything going with you guys? Good, good. I, I just, you know, when we uh, started doing this with the the Digest, there was a few few guys that I really wanted to get on uh, from around the state uh, to kind of talk. Um, you being one of them, obviously, I, and, you know, and you and I have coached each other, coached against each other for some time now, and, and we'll get into that. But, you know, I kind of yeah. just want to got to get the elephant out of the room here. And, and if you, I guess some people are actually, a lot of people are just wondering, you know, if you could just walk us through the week leading up to the final four and how crazy and emotional that must have been. Um, 
Yeah, you know, the thing that was crazy is, um, you know, talk around Northwest Hockey that we weren't even going to, you know, basically hold the candle in the wind uh, against Northview. And all season long, I was pretty much down between four to six guys all year. I didn't have my whole team until the last week of the regular season. And then uh, we finally changed a few things up because I had all my players and there was a few games there. I mean, well, there was about a month where we had like 11, 12 guys on the bench and everybody kept asking, you know, what's wrong with your team? You got a down year. And I'm like, I I got a good team. I just don't have my players. They're all injuries and they're major injuries. We had one kid with mono who was out for like four or five weeks. We had like four or five shoulder injuries. Uh, and then we had sickness along the way, as you know, during the hockey season, you got to deal with illnesses. So I'm always missing one or two guys. It seemed like every weekend there was another kid. So when we got to the, got to the uh, playoffs, um, we started to really start to click. And then, uh, you know, we ran into Anthony Wayne and that was a tough battle. And then we played Bowling Green that, I'm telling you what, they changed their whole system. They changed their whole game plan. They changed everything. And, uh, you know, as a coach, you expect some changes, but they changed everything. And their goalie was just outstanding. And we only beat them one nothing. And I'm telling you what, we were holding on to everything to that one goal lead. Just they were firing on all cylinders. And uh, I don't think they won a game during the regular season in our league. And then when playoffs, you know, like they say, it's all comes down to playoffs. And, you know, I tip my hat to the coach and the, the team that they really respected one another to play that way. Then we went against Northview and, uh, you know, we ended up thinking, hey, if we can hold it close, because they beat us both times. They beat us, you know, pretty soundly both games during the season. And I said, if we can get a goal five on five, and, and try to stop their power play because their power play was outstanding. And uh, we ended up doing that. And, you know, lo and behold, we, it was 3 nothing, and got excited. Went down to Columbus for the meeting Sunday. Everything's a go. We got uh, some ice time, extra ice time. We went down. We were going to go down there, try to get some ice time, you know, on the uh, nationwide practice uh, ice. And um, everything's set to go on Wednesday. Uh, Jerry from the OSHA called us, uh, RAD, and said, hey, it's going to be postponed for a bit, at least two weeks. Um, no practice, no anything. So all my practices, we had to, you know, stop and, you know, we're kind of confined to our own home. And then all of a sudden, um, everything was going on all cylinders, and we thought maybe we're going to play New Albany. We had all the video. We're we played them earlier. We're checking out their top line, all their players doing everything. And I think we were over ready knowing everything they could do or what kids they had in potential. And then the rug came out from under us and they basically said, it's never going to happen. Right. So how do you, how and, do you, how did you, how'd you address? Like, I mean, what's that conversation with the, with the boys like? Well, we did it. We couldn't meet again. We were all, you know, had a uh, video conference and some, you know, calls uh, 
but we did them all at one time. And you know, as a coach in any sport, you always want to see a champion where you put yourself, your team up to. If you lost to this team and they ended up winning, you're like, you can swallow that pill a little better because you're like, well, if they want it all, they deserve it. And, you know, you didn't have a chance, but then you see a team that, you know, you can beat and they beat you and they go down there and they lose. And you're like, ah, you know what? You start getting frustrated. It's a head game. But what happened was with us is I've always told the kids and I've always believed this. It was taught to me. The hardest game to ever win is your last game with your team. And that means if you win, you get a ring, you won a championship, you won the Stanley cup, you won the, you know, whatever state championship, whatever your last game as in hockey, you, you have something to be proud of forever. And telling these kids that, Hey, we won our last game this season, but it really didn't answer. We don't get a ring. We're not co-champions. We're not even co-finalists. We're, we're, it's like we never even existed. And that was frustrating to the kids and myself that you teach them all year long. Hey, it's all about the last game of the season. We have to win the last game of the season, no matter what. And if you, you drive that in your kids' brains, you, you know, you win something. You have something to be proud of on your resume. And these kids can walk around forever as a champion. Right. And all four teams won in hockey, all four teams won. And yet, you know, I tried to get a hold of other coaches and no one responded to me. I tried called O'Rourke a couple of times, nothing, never answered my calls, no text, nothing. And I, I was like, well, I guess everybody's good the way they are. Right. Coach, what was the, what was the mood amongst the seniors with this news? I mean, I know, you know, spending four years and, and I mean, you guys have been successful to get there, what, five out of the last six years to the final four and at least to the final four. And uh, what was the mood of the seniors uh, as, as I guess, you know, playing their last game and I don't want to say it the wrong way, almost not getting closure on the season. That's exactly what it is. There, there's no closure. There is, you know, they're very upset because as a coach, you push your kids so hard you know, through, through thick and thin, wins and losses, you, you learn something on every loss. You, 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 you gain momentum on wins and losses. You learn stuff. And then all of a sudden, they're like, Coach, I did everything you said, and, and now it was for nothing. And right. to, to, to hear him, I couldn't see him because, you know, we're all in this, you know, virus thing that we got to stay home and keep the door shut. And I haven't been out of my house in weeks. And I'm telling you just to hear it in their voice, you could, you could, you could hear the sadness. You could hear, you know, all the training, all the hard work, all the weightlifting, all the conditioning, all the yelling and screaming, the get along, don't get along, the fighting, the, the sickness, the health, health issues, the injuries. And you're like, okay, well, I guess I'm going to college then and thanks for the ride. So as a coach, I think it's always going to be a woulda, coulda, shoulda, or what if, win or lose. I'm not saying we would beat New Albany or Gilmore or Ignatius. That wasn't the thing. 
they didn't get a chance. And that's all they ever wanted was just that chance. When, when you get down to the final four, you know, and you could hear it in their voices, they're just kind of like one word answers. Yup. No, thanks coach. All right. Talk to you later. I mean, we can't even have the end of the year banquet with the kids and pass out like some awards and cause we have in-house awards, like, you know, MVP, you know, defensive player, offensive player, whatever. Right. I mean, we have nothing. So you go to school for 12 years straight and you're, you know, you get out early, you're big man on campus as, as a senior and here everybody's out a month earlier. And now they said school's basically closed in Ohio for this year. Michigan's already done. So it's, it's heartbreaking. Yeah, it definitely is something that I, 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 not making light of it. It's something we're never going to forget. And it's no, unfortunate for that this group, especially this group of seniors, this throughout the country. That I mean, this, this, e- I remember even, it, I'll tell you that. I agree with you a hundred percent. And and what's worse is, what do I put on the resume for kids to come to look at our school? Like we have a we have a uh, a magazine uh, that comes out like a a summer magazine, a fall, a spring. And, and so on for it, it's it's not real big or anything but uh it's for the uh st francis community and uh i mean what do we put on there district champs and that's it i mean there's there's nothing there's nothing else you can put on you can't even put on you know we didn't even go to the final four it's like we're trying to recognize get us recognized at least say we're in the final four well, and, everybody, uh, everybody in the everybody in that that knows hockey, especially in our state and and throughout, is going to know you guys were another. And I stress another state finalist with uh, <laughs> that large resume you guys got up there. And I, I don't want to cut you off. I just want to. I, I we have a whole boatload of questions here. And one of the things yeah. that Sully had mentioned in the in the intro was uh, you spent time as a head coach at Toledo Cherokees. Yeah. Uh, what was the landscape like? Was that were you guys in the Central States Hockey League at the time? Yeah, the CSHL. Yeah, it was still called that then. What was the landscape like in in junior hockey when you were coaching it, as as opposed to what you saw maybe before or since your days with with the Cherokees? Well, I I love coaching uh, juniors, and that's what ended up ultimately getting me the uh, one of the coaching jobs for uh, Adrian College, and I was helping Adrian College doing that and. The one thing about juniors, what I really liked is I could travel all over basically the world if I wanted to, but you know, nowadays everything is through the internet and they, at that time they used to send videos. Um, scouts would send me videos of agents would so, show me videos or give me videos, um, about these kids. And I, you know, talk to the parents and, you know, the re- recruiting process, I, I loved it because I can make my own team. Like in high school, if I got three kids that come in, I, I basically get three to six kids every year as freshmen coming in. I don't know if he's ever going to be six foot five and bench 250 or if he's going to be five foot two and just Speedy Gonzalez, you know, down the wing. I, I don't know. But when you're coaching juniors, I need 
you know, I need three big guys. I need, I need two fast guys for each line. I need, you know, I need a playmaker. I need a goal scorer. I need a banger, you know, whatever design we were going with per season, you know, that was the, that was the fun part of, you know, you can make your team and mold it. And, and, you know, I was there three, three or four years and uh, we always had home ice for playoffs. We always went to nationals. So, you know, it's never been done before since or after I've left. And, you know, I knew Kinsey and I knew how to make a team to win because we could go pick and choose whatever we wanted. But uh, that was the biggest difference was in college, you could do the same thing. And then I ended up back in high school, and that's a funny story, but, you know. So yeah, what, what was the transition like? I mean, why did you decide to switch to high school instead of just stay the junior route then? Well, Kinsey was my uh, – Brian Kinsella, he's um, – I think he has the most goals in the IHL. He's won uh, three or four Turner Cups. Um, uh, he ended up passing away about a year, year and a half ago. Well, he was my assistant. Uh, he's the one that actually got me into coaching. Um, you know, I was done playing pro and I, I was injured and, uh, I could never go back and play. So I got a buyout and a insurance policy. And what happened was, um, he said, yeah, I want you to coach. And I'm like, I can't coach. I don't know anything about coaching. Cause I was just a year out of playing hockey. And I'm like, I, you know, I, I don't, I don't like coaching and, you know, you never really like to coach. You don't get along with them or you learn a lot from them and you love them to death. It's one or the other, it seems like. And, uh, ended up going on and he wanted me to be the head coach for Bedford. And I was helping at Woodward and, uh, I was like, all right, I'll, I'll coach you be the head coach. And I'll be your assistant. And he's like, no, you got to be that coach because my son's going to play. And I don't want to be the head coach and play favorites with other parents. I don't want anybody to argue or fight or say things. So I ended up coaching, ended up loving it and learning along the way, going through U.S. hockey, you know, and, and got your level four and, and all that stuff. And, and what happened was he was my assistant for like 13 years. So I ended up, he wanted to quit juniors with me. And I brought him along. We did juniors with the Cherokees. And I, I said, hey, you know, he wants to quit. I think I'm going to quit. And I'm going to put my resume out there and try to go to the next level. Because we were winning everything. And uh, I thought, well, you know, it's time to expand my horizon, so to speak. And see if I can make it out in the real world above juniors. Well, I got hit with college with Adrian to help out with their, you know, their B team, not their, not their varsity A team, their, their B team. And I thought, ah, oh, I get my foot in the door, do this for a couple of years. Maybe somebody resigns, whatever. And I'll go move up maybe. So as that happened, Brian got the job at St. Francis and said, uh, called me up and he's like, Hey, I'm the new head coach at St. Francis. You know, I really missed the game during the summer and, they're having a coaching change and, you know, do you want to, do you want to help me out? I'm the head coach. And I was like, no, I'm here. I'm a, I'm doing college. I, I can't, I can't swing and do both teams. And he's like, all right, I'll see you Tuesdays, our first practice. And 
<laughs> I showed up Tuesday and I was there. I've been there 13 years now. So I had to quit college to go back to high school to help out a guy that helped me for 13 years. I felt I owed that to him. Right. Right. Well, with, uh, with all that and, and, and being around the different levels of the game, how have you seen hockey change? I guess from your playing days with Cambridge or in Cambridge to today, what, 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 what has been, I guess the most drastic change you've seen through all well, the, the levels you've been associated with. The, the biggest change that I seen as a player is when I, I, when I went to camp, I was drafted in supplemental draft and they don't even have that anymore in the NHL. I think it's, done in 91 or two or whatever it was, but I was, I was earlier than that. And what happened was I, you know, when you go to training camp, you're there for two weeks to get in shape for preseason, then for the season. Nowadays, if you're not in shape before preseason, you're getting cut or dropped, demoted, traded something. There's something's going to happen to you. And that to me has been huge because when I played, I was average height. I'm six foot. I was light. I was real thin. No, I'm not, but I was thinner, you know, and I had to work at work out on my upper body, my forearms, my legs. I mean, they, they, they stress that to you, you know, just relentlessly now. And then all of a sudden about 10 years after I was out of hockey, it was all about, you know, six foot five bench press, you know, two eighty three ten, whatever, you know, you got to be strong. You got to be fast. You got to be physical. Now, all of a sudden the game has changed where, okay, you got a couple big guys, but we got to get back to speed and agility and, 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 you know, pad guys with a high hockey IQ. And that's, you know, passing the puck where to be, you know, kind of have the foresight of, you know, like a Wayne Gretzky, he was not by far the fastest guy on the ice. And he was definitely not the strongest guy. But what made him great was his hockey IQ, the vision, the foresight of I'm going to be where the puck is going to end up or I'm going to make sure this puck is going to end up, you know, and he was so perfect at that. And, and a lot of teams were trying to duplicate that at the side, you know, back in the late eighties, nineties, you got a great guy, you put a body protector on him and you got a guy that could score a goal. And they did that for like 10 years and they figured out that that doesn't work. You know, it works for the great guys, the guys that are unbelievable, but today's game has changed where you are training basically two weeks off out of the year, the rest you're working out, you're working out before the game. You play the game and you work out after in a cool down situation. And when I was playing, when the game was over, you went out, you, you went to the bar, you did whatever you went out to dinner with your family if they're in town or, or you're out of town and met people or friends. Now, you know, after a game, you're still working out, you're on a bike, you're, you're doing lightweight, you're doing like cardio, you're, you're, you're getting your body back down to normal. You're taking cold baths, ice baths, whatever you want to call it to work out the bumps and bruises. And all of a sudden the game has changed to where a doctor knows exactly, you know, what is wrong with you. When I, when I injured my knee, 
it was like, oh, they just shot you up with cortisone and yeah, you're good to go. And you didn't feel anything. And you thought you were great to go. Now they know everything, the MRIs, everything's more clear, 3D, you know, and 4H, you know, whatever. So it's always like the, the doctors know more about you than you know about yourself. In the back of the day, you knew yourself and the doctors just kind of said, are you good? Yeah, I'm good. All right, go and play. You know, now it's about concussions. You know, back in the day, they put smelling salt. Hey, how many fingers you can you see? And I'm like, oh, I see two. And they're like, hey, you see fingers. You're good enough. I could have been 10. <laughs> I have no idea. You know, I'm like, yeah, this is good. And you never talk. It was, you know, yeah, you bumped your head. That's what they called it. They, they didn't even call it head injuries. It wasn't a concussion was never a word unless, you know, no one was really knocked out back in when I played. And the other thing that changed in the game is the chippiness. I mean, you could hold the guy, whack, smack him, push him, chop him, you know, cross-check him in the back in front of that. Now, if you touch a guy, well, two minutes, you know, interference. And that's what gets me frustrated because I'm still built mindset of, hey, I'm trying to push my sentiment out of the or their sentiment out of the way so my goalie can see the puck. I don't think that should be a penalty, but the game has changed for the safety. It is good for the sport. Don't get me wrong. I'm never going to argue that, but the ticky tack stuff is really, really heightened now. And some of it's, I mean, it's just like a push on, you know, on the guy's hip and they're calling that. And I just, it bothers me, but yet I see the safety part of the game. So the game has changed with more conditioning year around. In the in the game calls from the official. Speaking of uh, speaking of that, I, I was when I was doing some research, coach. I, uh, you played with a guy in Cambridge, and you know you talked about the chippiness and and you know the whack and hack and being allowed more back then. T- t- talk to me about a guy by the name of Chip Saley. Three hundred and twelve penalty minutes in forty one games. <laughs> yeah, Chip. Chip was good. My winger was Kurt Maltby. We're still good friends with him. He was one four Stanley Cups with yep. the uh, wings. Maltz, Maltz was pretty. I mean, Maltz was my winger, and he wasn't really a, uh, you know, he did it all. You know, he was one of the guys that did it all. But Chip, he was one of the guys that if you mess with, basically he was protecting a couple guys like me and, and Maltby and, and uh uh, there's another kid that got a lot of penalties too, Chris Garofalo. And uh, those guys, if you touched us, they were taking you out. And then we had to learn. I, I actually was getting recruited or looks by the Canadians. And uh, Pat Burns was the head coach at the time. And uh, he came in and talked to me. He goes, you know, I got to see if you can handle yourself. You know, you got to start, you know, not fighting, but you're going to have to, no one's going to protect you in this league when you come in. So I'm like, all right. So next game I was out. Yeah, I'm tough. I can fight. Yeah. Well, I wasn't tough. I wasn't, you know, I lost that fight. And, you know, so I had to learn. I had to take boxing lessons. I had to start working out. I had to start, you know, fighting with, you know, not moving your legs because, you know, street fighting easy, but on, on skates, it's completely different. And you had 30 seconds to just give it all out. And, uh, you know, I was kind of like, you know, ducking and chasing, waiting for my opening. 
and that doesn't happen. Once they get a hold of you, it's it's fist after fist. I mean, it's right. so um, yeah. So the the penalty minutes back in the day was pretty awesome where you could sit there and the fans got into it and we'd go to rinks and they'd throw hot chocolate down us if you're in the penalty box. And there was like no glass in some of the arenas and they'd throw popcorn and you'd be, you know, going out on the ice and you had stains all down your back in Jersey and <laughs> you'd get on the bench and you got, you're, you're picking up popcorn and you're like, man, this itches, it bothers you. And I mean, they just, the fans are crazy and awesome because it went both ways even at home they loved you when you're the away man they just gave it to you throw beer at you and everything so right you know that was kind of a fun thing yeah i was looking at that uh, it was like 312 minutes in 41 games that's that's impressive that is impressive hey speaking of uh, another team and you will keep a little bit closer to home uh you said you uh you won won a national championship with the michigan nationals you also won a national championship with team toledo uh, yeah. As well. Um, I, you know, I, I know that cause every single time I walk into the TAM to, to, with one of my teams to play you, I got to stare at that big banner and have your name yeah. on it. Um, yeah. you had some good guys, you had some good players on that team as well. Um, yeah. Unbelievable players. I know a couple of those guys on a personal level. I know, uh, Doug Jones has passed, but I remember big Doug Jones. Wow. Yeah. He was huge. Yeah, well, he, he was him and Mark Rafak. If there was a problem, if we were losing a game, I mean, he, they, they physically turned it around where then we won. We had that team, we played over 100 games in that season, and I think we had like 9 or 11 losses. And we were playing teams that, we were playing junior teams, we were playing men. I mean, I remember I was the youngest kid on the team. And I'm telling you, my team, like having a guy like Jonesy, he was just massive for a hockey player. He was built like a football player. I mean, no fat on him whatsoever. And when he talked, I mean, it didn't matter if he made sense or not. You listened because he just knocked you out. And uh, <laughs> he, he was he, the first guy, coach. He was the first guy that when I when I went to Toledo, he was the first yeah. guy that I met in the locker room was Doug Jones. I walked in and I was like, who is this guy? And, yep. oh, he was huge. Another guy on, the, on your team that uh, I skated with and actually could just fly up and down the ice was Todd Cole. Colby was a great player. Colby was a small, but I'm telling you, he was fast. He was shifty. Right. He was really, really good. I run into his dad uh, about a year ago, and uh, it was cool to reminisce. And like I said, back in the beginning – how do you feel, you know, about the wins and losses? You didn't get a chance. You know, 20, 30 years later, we're still talking about the good old days of, hey, we won. You know, and this was a parent. He wasn't even a kid. And he was telling me about stuff I don't even remember. And right. and I didn't even. And, and these kids these days, you know, this year, they don't have any closure. I mean, what? 20 years down the road. Hey, remember we we're in the final four and the end story's over. Yeah. Right. So, I mean, we can't say, Hey, remember when we beat new Albany or Hey, remember when we lost new Albany, we, we, we could have, would have, should have, you know? So, you know, like one of the stories, my first year coaching, we were 500 team with St. Francis and uh, Dyer was our stud on the team. He had all season long, 
he scored on every single breakaway. And we played Ed's, your team, in the semifinals. We had three breakaways. He had two of them, never scored on any of them. And that, to this day, haunts him. But at least he has an answer, you know, to his final four days or memory. Right. And, that, and as a senior, he has that. Good or bad, bad taste in your mouth, good taste, whatever. And these seniors, they didn't even get a chance. And that's that's the thing that bums me out, you know, for them. Right. But Jonesy yeah. was the biggest hockey player that's, I've ever seen. I mean, he was massive. I mean, he was just solid. He was massive. And if you ever talked to his girlfriend at the time, he'd oh, kill you. He was a great guy. He used to wear this yellow tinted mat, uh, eye tech. And yep. it, it looked like he, he would have fire in his eyes when he would get on the ice. And he was, you're right. Varg, you're right. He was the biggest man I've ever seen on the ice. Ever. And I mean, I played pro. I mean, I, I played against Iafrady. I mean, while I was on his team, you know, in, in, in preseason. And I, you know, played with, you know, Boston. I played with uh, everybody from A to Z. Dave Morissette from the uh, Canadians was one of the biggest fighters I've ever seen. He was just, he was just. We call it, well, his nickname was Moose. And I uh, played with him with Hampton Road Admirals. And we won, you know, the uh, Riley Cup back in the day. And he, uh, it, it was great to see him. And I thought he was big. Jonesy was way bigger. <laughs> if that kid could skate a little bit better, oh, watch out. I mean, he was just huge. Yeah. And me. In all your years in the game, Coach, and everything that you've seen at all different levels, what do you think needs to happen at every level, I guess, to continue to grow the game? I think the thing that needs to grow the game in, in local sports um, or in local hockey, like in Cleveland, Columbus, wherever you're at, Toledo, is the cost. Bring down the cost a little bit because, you know, it's it's pretty easy to everybody to play football and baseball and basketball because – what do you really have to pay for? I mean, the fields there, you don't ever really have to pay for fields unless you're playing at a college stadium or whatever. You don't have to what, you pay for cleats or tennis shoes or basketball shoes, whatever. And a couple of things here and there, and that's it. And in hockey, you got a, you know, you, you got a thousand dollar bill here, a $5,000 bill there. You got, you know, your kids, skates are you know eight hundred thousand dollars fifteen hundred bucks and you know and you got to get blades for them now so you always have to have an extra set sticks are you know between a hundred and four hundred dollars now i mean the cost is just outrageous and and if that could change i think we'd have more people to play hockey if there's more rinks to you know we do this thing for our, our uh, hockey team to get involvement it's like you know that uh nfl does uh nfl 60 is you know get young kids on board have some you know famous people uh athletes out there and they throw a ball and play with them for the day or whatever right you know we do the same thing but it's tough because kids don't have skates and now with the economy the way that way it's gonna hit i mean it hockey is gonna take a massive hit and people don't realize it yet, but it's going to hurt. It's going to hurt all these young kids that maybe like hockey, but their parents can't afford 
five thousand dollars a season or ten thousand. I mean, if you're playing triple A, you're looking at ten, twenty thousand dollars. Right, right. And that's just for a sport. When you can go play football for let's say a thousand dollars on the high end, that's it. Yeah, right. Yeah. So and you're uh, in your time at, at St. Francis, so you won you guys, you and uh Brian Kinsella won your first state championship in 2011. Then you won again as a head coach in 2015. How can you compare those championship teams that like other teams, or can you compare those two teams to us? Can you talk about those, that comparison? Well, in 2010, we were the number one team all year long and we didn't even make it to the district finals. Finley beat us. And Kinsey looked to me before we even walked on the ice and shake uh, shook Finley's hands and said, I'm glad the season's over. And I went, why? And he goes, he goes, we just didn't have it. Even though we were number, ranked number one, he just, he looked at me, he goes, we didn't have jam. And then back in the day, you called it jam, meaning you, you do anything for the guy next to you. And, and that guy will do anything for you. And, you know, that was a pro term. Hey, let's have some jam out there tonight, guys. And the coach would walk out. And that was the kind of the thing that, you know, in the NHL and the uh, IHL when I played, that's what they, they called it. And now it's, you know, a different name and whatever. But when 11 came, we installed jam into these kids. Don't worry about the regular season because we're going to lose. Worry about playing for the guy next year. And when we we lost the game, we were on a we were on a win streak like ten games, and our kids were getting a little, you know, at ease with the game because they figured, well, we're talented, we'll just score if we're down in the third period and win a hockey game. And 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 we were doing that. Well, we played University of Liggett, and they just smoked us like six to one. And I went in the locker room after the end of the game and I go, we're never going to win anything. You guys have no jam. You guys are a bunch of prima donnas. I mean, I just went off. And uh, Kinsey looked at me and he goes, well, I guess I'm not going to have to talk. I guess you said what had to be said. (laughs) And from that point on, because then our next game was, you know, districts, uh, you know, our first round or whatever. From that point on, our practices, were completely different guys. I mean, if you didn't have the same jersey, like we have line colors and if you didn't have the same color as you know, your line mate, they were just smoking you. And I'm like, okay, here we go. We have jam again. And then we ended up when we get to the finals, final four, I told him, I said, you know, this school has never won a championship in hockey. I said, and I told, and I go, and this is my honest to God truth. I said to these kids, I said, I was here for one thing. I talked to Mike Marciniak in 2007 when I got hired for 2007, eight, it was 2008 season. I said, I said, how many times have you guys won this thing? I didn't even know it was called state champions. I've never played high school. I didn't even know what it was. And he goes, he goes, I've been here 30 some years and, we never won it. And I said, oh, I will stay here as long as uh, I have to, to win a championship for you. And then when we win one, I'm out. He goes, oh, okay, whatever. So I used to tell him all the time or ask him, hey, what's your ring size? And he would say, I don't know. And I go, what's your ring size? I mean, I said that all the time to him. And uh, 
In 2011, I never said his ringside because I knew if I, I didn't want to jinx it because hockey players kind of are superstitious, mm-hmm. and, or at least I am. So I never brought it up. And when, when we went down there, we played. We won the first game pretty soundly against U-School. And then uh, the thing that got me was U-School bust in that day to play hockey. So they had a two, two-and-a-half-hour drive, and then they had to go play a game an hour before the Final Four, which they didn't have their legs with them, which really was to our advantage. And then when we played Eds, it was a whole different game. I mean, I tell you what, St. Eds was just a, a, you know, a team that could fire on all cylinders. They had a goalie. They had everything. And uh, we ended up winning. And I remember not even congratulating Kinsey because we've won things before together as coaches. But I looked at him and turned around and went right to Marciniak. And I asked him, I said, now you have to tell me what your ring size is. (laughs) And he just, I mean, he was in tears with excitement. So that was, you know, I was planning on resigning from that season. And, uh, I mean, it was just so excited for the school, the the camaraderie, the senior send off, the the party after getting to the mayor, giving us you know the keys of the city, and going down to Columbus to get all these awards, and you know we were so excited. And I never knew anything. And after the Columbus trip, when we met you know the House of Representatives and all these people were talking, and you know I looked back at Kenzie, I said we got to come back next year. I mean, we can do this again. And then in 2012, I'd like, we lost our whole team. We had nobody. We we were, I mean, we were last place in the league. We were just horrible. And Kinsey says, you know, I'm done. So I said, yeah, I want to ring for Mike and, and, you know, I'm done too. So Kinsey said, Hey, I already talked to Mike and I resigned. I'm telling you blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, all right, I'll go talk to Mike. So I talked to Mike and he goes, Hey, I want us to meet. I don't want to do this over the phone. And I said, okay. So I drive there and the whole time I'm sitting there, I go, I'm quitting, I'm quitting, I'm quitting, I'm quitting. And Mike Marciniak goes, what do I need you to do? What do I have to do to make you our head coach? And I said, Mike, I'm gone. I got you a ring. That's, that's all we wanted. That's, that was our agreement. You know, I got paid 500 bucks a year. I was no money, just didn't care. I'm like, hey, that's it was off to get a ring. And he goes, all right. And he looks right into my eyes and he goes, he goes, do you think you can win another one here? And I'm like, yeah, I think you can. Even though our season was horrible. I'm like, you got a young group of kids coming in that, you know, any coach would be excited about. He goes, all right, I'll see you Monday. We'll talk in game strategy. And I went, well, I'm resigning. He goes, I don't accept it. He goes, you'll be here. <laughs> so then we planned. I took this young team and I said, well, if you can be patient for two years, we'll get another state run at this. And it ended up working. I kind of was lying to myself <laughs> that it was going to happen. I mean, everybody thinks they can win, but I truly thought, oh, we're going to win with these bunch of freshman kids. And every, I mean, we were getting smoke left and right in 13 and 14. And then all of a sudden, it all clicked again. And it was exciting to see Mike. I said, Mike, no matter what, you can always say, 
it wasn't an accident that you won a state champion because you won two now. And one, you feel lucky, you got to bounce, people say stuff. But if you win two, that solidifies that you're the real deal, that you could always be a contender. And in the backstory, I won nationals two years in a row, and I used to wear my rings because I was young. I was excited, and I was with Malpy, and I used to make this sound when you hit the two rings together. And I go, you hear what? You hear that sound? He goes, that's not a mistake. That's that's back to back right there. You can't get that. I mean, you can't even buy it. So when he won the Stanley State uh, Stanley Cup, his second year, he calls me and he started making this noise. And he goes, you know what that is? That's back to back you know, Stanley Cup champions. And he goes, sounds a lot better than those little national rings. And like, <laughs> to this day, I'm always like, uh, you go over his house, he's got them all nice set up with the little Stanley Cups. And I'm like, yeah. and he goes, you want to, you want to hear that sound? So I'm always like, no, don't need to hear it. Cause so I shoved it in his face for years. And well, the rest of the in my life, I get to hear that Stanley Cup sound. So, you know, it's just a joke and stuff. But the difference was, it was nothing to do with me as an assistant or a head. It was all about Mike Marciniak. Yeah, yeah, like good guy. That, that's a good. That's a good story there. Uh, after all your personal accolades, after after all the years of playing pro, of playing juniors, of coming up through coaching, of of winning the state championships, of winning the national championships, what keeps the fire burning in you to keep going, to keep coming back, to keep to keep fighting to to win? Well, you know, I did this my whole career as a coach. I always had kids. And last year, my kids, I, I told them I'm not going to go. I, I've gotten offers, many offers to help coach, had coaching jobs, or, um, you know, I took a lot of time where I thought, you know, I'd move up or move on. And uh, I've been really serious about leaving St. Francis and high school altogether to coach, you know, either juniors or college or, you know, D1, D3, uh, you know, even as a second, third assistant, just to get my foot in the door and, you know, start out fresh, start out new, learn and, and, and listen to other coaches. And, you know, and I, when I talk to Sully or I talk to, you know, whoever, I try to always learn something. And I think that's what keeps the fire going is I know I don't know it all. And I still want to learn more about the game, whether it's a, a, a drill in practice, you know, Sully will sit down and do some X and O's or whatever, whoever I'm talking to, I try to learn. And then I adapt, you know what, that's not going to work for our team, but if I adjust it to do it this way. So I know the fire is still there because I want to learn more. I mean, being secluded in my house, that's all I've been doing. I have so much I want to bring out for next season for the or St. Francis kids that, mm-hmm. you know, maybe we can trip up a St. Ed's, and I'm just saying that because Sully's on the phone. But, <laughs> the, but the whole thing is, you know, we know Ed's is going to be one of the top teams next year, and that's a team that, for St. Francis, we have to take serious today. I mean, we can't just go, oh, yeah, we play in February 10th and, you know, we don't have to worry about it till you know, February 9th. No, you got to learn. You got to focus on it now. And I'm making this up, but that's how I, I go to the game. So that's how I know the fire is still in me. 
Plus now my kids are all in college, moved out and everything. And I live by myself with my two dogs. I have nothing else to do but <laughs> hockey. So, and the one thing uh, a, a parent, a, a lady asked me, one of my parents, she goes, um, you know, don't you get bored with it? Isn't it like redundant? And, you know, this and that. And I went, you know, every year is different. You know, she asked if I miss my kids. I said, I have 20 boys every year, new boys every year. You know, you can mold them and shape them. Whether you're good or not, it doesn't matter. You either teach them or you coach them. You know, if you're not a good team, you got to teach. When you're a good team, you really have to coach. And there's a big difference there. And some coaches don't get it. And that's why they're always, it seems like they're always in the same place. Even though they're really talented or not, it's all, you know what you're going to get when you play this team or that team. You know, when we play a St. Ed's, you know, you're going to get their first string goalie. You know, they're going to, they're going to, they want to beat St. Francis. They're not there just to play games and keep it close, win or lose, who cares? They want to bury us. And that's the same thing. And I think that's what the fire is with us against St. Ed's. We want to beat them. And that's what keeps that rivalry and the friendship so good because every game we could win or they could win. But at the end of the day, we both gave our best. And that's what really drives me to keep uh, coaching here plus the coaching relationships and the friendships I made hands down, you know, not everybody likes me because I'm an aggressive coach, but at the end of the day, I walk away after the game and I go home. I don't celebrate win or lose. I don't, I don't care about that. I go back to the drawing board and say, Hey, who's our next game? And I start focusing on them. But like I said, I don't have kids at home. I don't have time to, you know, got to go to soccer practice or football. I don't have that anymore. So now I can just devote all my time into hockey. And the one thing that keeps me going is hockey's always been there for me. When I was down and out, when I didn't feel like, you know, I was good enough or, you know, and then you pop in a goal and all of a sudden your teammates just come around you and celebrate, you know, the goal and, that feeling never goes away as a coach either that you did something good. You feel proud of what you accomplished and it doesn't matter at the end of the day, wins or losses to me. I, it, you know, when you win a ring, you want to get another one. You win that one, you want to win. You're just never satisfied. And that's another thing that keeps me. I'm never satisfied because even if I got a ring in 1988, I didn't get a ring in 2020 and I really wanted a ring in 2020. Not saying that I could not saying that I could have won or or we were going to win, but you know, I wanted a chance and you know, I want the chance in 2021, 2022, no matter what level, I'm just surprised I haven't been fired by St. Francis yet. So (laughs) that's the other thing that I'm hanging on to every year. I keep thinking I'm getting fired (laughs) because they have year because St. Francis does year by year contracts. Yeah. Right. 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 So, well, Hey, Chris, um, you know, I just want to, uh, before we end here, I just want to say that I, uh, you know, this coaching thing, you know, love actually the question what keeps you going and, and listening to you. And, you know, I've been doing this for 17 years as well. And it's very addicting, you know, and, and I think that's a good yes. word to use, uh, to it. And I and, agree. 
And as a guy that that has coached many games against you and your staff, um, there we always know that we're going to get a solid team to play against, uh, a coaching staff that is fiery and tenacious, but then after the game, shake your hand and talk about ways to get these young men and women better at hockey. So I know I can say this on this podcast. I know I, I speak for a lot of other people. So thank you for doing that, and thank you for being who you are uh, with the game of hockey because it means a lot, especially up in Toledo, where yeah, I know I appreciate you appreciate it. Thank you. you. You impact a lot of the uh, the, the young guys up there, and uh, um, we look forward to continue to working with you, man. So thanks for coming on with us. Uh, yeah, and, anytime. Uh, as you know, stay safe, wear your mask, right? Yes, that's, I just stay in my house. I haven't been out in almost three weeks. <laughs> well, I'm gonna have to go check on you then, Chris. Make sure you know you got food and water and stuff. <laughs> I got food and water. I'm good. <laughs> you you seen my belly? It needs to go down anyway. <laughs> well, I, I, have no you, I, I have no comment. I have no comment for that because this quarantine has taken the best of me too. So. <laughs> yeah, I appreciate everything, guys. Anytime, any uh, whatever I can do to help out. All right. Thanks, Coach. Uh, what a great interview with uh, Coach Vargas out of Toledo St. Francis, DeSales High School. Wow, he's got the quite the resume and the stories to go with it for sure. I'll tell you what, that we've known him for a long time, and he's always colorful every time we see him. Uh, he's always got a good story to tell. He's always got a smile on his face. And and just listening to him today, it just it solidifies, it, it reiterates – the fact that that coaches coach because they want to make a difference, and you could tell he's a student of the game and, and always learning and always trying to become better through every avenue possible and learn and and <clears throat> excuse me and, and project that or not project that but teach that to his kids. And I, I'm worn out. I'm worn out listening to that interview because he's just on fire all the time, and I'm I'm sure we could have gone on for a couple more days listening to him. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, uh, make sure you guys head over to the website, Ohio Hockey Digest. Get your votes in for the high school state tournament, uh, Jersey tournament. Um, thanks for checking out the podcast. More on the horizon with more interviews. Uh, we're going to be growing the game as best we can during these non-hockey times. This worldwide to infinity. <laughs> you know the roof on fire. We go boogie, oogie, oogie, jiggle, wiggle, and dance <laughs> like the roof on fire. We go drink drinks and take shots until we fall out like the roof on fire. Now, baby, get my booty naked, take off all your clothes and light the roof on fire. Tell her, tell her, baby, 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 ba